For the best audio experience and to avoid embarrassment, we strongly suggest you use headphones whilst listening to Bubble and Squeak. Hi, I'm Peter Santoscano, and this is Bubble and Squeak, a podcast with uncanny sounds, funny interludes, and stories, most weird, many true. Okay, here's season two, episode 11. Our show today comes in one part. Writer Philip Sorensen tells us about his book of poetry, Solar Trauma. He also reads excerpts, and I supply an audio treatment to his words. My poetry isn't for everybody. I would almost certainly relate it to John Carpenter's The Thing, which is one of the texts that this book is kind of springing out of, like a, almost like a spore. I think of it almost as like a kind of like biological thing in relation to other biological things that are themselves texts. And at the very least, I could say, well, this is like a, a book of poetry written as a horror movie. Twelve men have just discovered something. For 100,000 years, it was buried in the snow and ice. Now it has found a place to live, inside, where no one can see it, or hear it, or feel it. I know I'm human. Some of you are still human. This thing doesn't want to show itself. It wants to hide inside an imitation. It'll fight if it has to, but it's vulnerable out in the open. It takes us over, and it has no more enemies. Nobody left to kill it. That's one. They followed the tracks through the snow, short strides, long strides, limping, fully erect. They followed the melting ice, down and down and down. They were blinded by the glare of the swinging leather branches and the silver ship. Into the empty mouth, into the palace, the characters descended into ice. As they spread out face down on the silver skin of the rack, the characters imagined a flowing and heavy pile of velvet, so deep and quiet like the dark porthole, a single hip on a die. At the bottom of the heavy wave, something moving, half moons and pink and white, first scurrying and then lashing. The characters couldn't see it, but they felt it. A black-eyed porpoise's head jutting up through foam and then back again, a wax tree. The characters sat in front of their computerized chess game. The computer always seemed to beat the characters. This angered the characters, even when they weren't drunk. The characters were tired of losing. There was nothing else to do. Antarctica was a very boring continent, full of endlessness and forbidden zones. When the computer won, it felt humiliating to be defeated by the automatically rational, as if the whole world, to its bottom, was frozen illegible, complete, swallowing up and suggesting a distant curled edge, like a white page on which they themselves were printed, out of range now, completely lost, the characters dumped their Budweiser onto the computer. It fizzled and smoked. Now they couldn't play anything at all. 
The characters only dared to look directly at it when they were alone in the bathroom mirror. All day they waited for the moment that sprouted from their cheek, an orange flower, a little green and a little red on downy petals. They went to examine the generator, sabotaged. It was so cold at night, the flower froze and after a while dropped into the snow. The characters understood what the spider head running under the gurney meant. It was morning. The world was perfecting itself, not in some abstract way that fails to address point of view or the character's sense of disassociation and loneliness, but one that was real and permanent and biological. Now the characters could finally squeeze into a warm bath together, dripping gracefully like boughs and meeting in elephantine joints and then fitting into long, wet hairs. Everyone would be together, eating together. The characters were always asking where the characters were. One minute, the characters would be standing in a long hallway stacked with cardboard boxes and green cylinders. Then the characters would realize the characters were missing. From some other room, television, old taped game shows, they loved to watch the yellow-orange kerosene dumped into the snow. The characters hauled their flamethrowers like sick question marks across the thresholds of their rooms. And then later, the characters were standing with their face covered in a mask and snow goggles around a car-sized block of pink, soapy ice. The characters swept around the compound in roller skates and tight jeans. The characters listened to Stevie Wonder. Later, the characters attempted to build a ship that would take them to other places. Soon a bird would land and they could be a bird. Soon they could be a jaguar or a bear. Soon the characters could be. And everything could be the characters. The characters wished to be tied up by the fantasy cannibal vampire. The characters were soon living mostly underground as giants and spider heads and floating freely on currents of recycled air. The characters were perfecting themselves. They were their own delicacy, dream surgeons. Soon the characters could look up through the eyes from their pod and see the stars swim and geal perfect. Soon the characters could look up through the ice from their pod and see the stars swim in geal perfect. I would characterize it as a, um, a book about the uncanny body and about the horror of language and perhaps even the problem of personhood. I think the book is invested in exploring what it means to be a person as a category and the ways in which that category is political and social. And when you start to raise some questions about what constitutes the human, um, you start to raise some questions about what it means to be a person in a state and in a family. And I think the book is kind of investigating those questions and it's doing so through um, its relationship to other texts.
as I was composing the book, I was um, a very new father. You know, I was writing it in the first couple of years of our daughter's life. The smells of baby dump were always present. Formula, breast milk, diapers, the diaper can, because we had the reusable diapers, the cloth diapers. You fill up this can just with, you know, shitty diapers. That was sort of a, a persistent smell. Also, just the smell of a baby. It's such a beautiful smell. You know, it's, I don't I can't even articulate what it is, but like the baby's head, it just smells so good. But then also in our house, the sound of screaming, of, of that, that baby crying was sort of really persistent. Yeah, well, I mean, there's a lot of that, you know, in the in the book, you know, in Solar Trauma, there's a lot of, it's very fecal kind of in its thinking. And some of that is, again, about these kind of boundaries, you know, about in, and anxieties around our bodies, anxiety around, uh, around bodies. Georges Bataille, that French philosopher and thinker, the book is responding to his, um, his work really explicitly. The title, Solar Trauma, is drawn from his brief essay, I guess we call it an essay, uh, The Solar Anus. Uh, the first lines of which are, it is clear that the world is purely parodic. In other words, that each thing seen is the parody of another, or is the same thing in a deceptive form. A search wound, a dark lake path had the length of a mile. The way they found roosters, the road, poison, milk the road, milk from snails, split gallop, black snail, lance the sun. The skin was chicken ribbed, parking lot. Yellow is the only way now, describe the cream dripping. Your arm goes, here it goes, goes always, goes yellow. Yellow always goes brown, brown always. Slips into, it must, as dirty as feet, like a finger comes out. A little pale doll, please give me cream, the permanent condition. Pink came up, hot, what, 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 a present of cicada-covered faces. We hope to please you, we hope you'll be pleased. The orgiastic agitation of the tomb, dear ants and fox shit. Hear the bones of field mice. White grub sings. White grub eats. The heart hangs like a door from its hinge and pushes away snow. And what can I do but hate myself, kneeling in the garage, for frogs in their glassy time? The pigs are coming to fuck your dreams, sharp body smooth. Dear ones, let's get to the place where you first were ended by the teeming, forgetful, bare, you feel free. Desperate to play skin and death with swarm floor functionaries. When will I be able to leave this place and these people? How will I sing my bug song, the dry roads and the sound near open, near imaginary and dry and yellow and packed oars, endlessly wishing for something to arrive like a bank vault opening? Would it be that something were inside to make me a really important beast. 
watch the ferries pass back and forth and the small channel between the islands and disappear into the trees. The shadow can't be unstuck, driving down the head of the snake some kind of word horde. The smell of my own mouth. The kitchen floor is filthy. Here's a missing sock. This is where I broke the wine glass and it cut your heel. I can feel it in the world over everything. Billions of spam messages floating weightlessly into their ancient cradles. Can you smell that? Can you? Can you? It's like lemon cleaner and bubblegum and old rye, bread. How can we get rid of this thing? Can we just throw it away? What happens to it when we do? Will it leak and leak and leak into the ground? How will its tail look rotten? How will it go to sleep in the rain, waiting for us or floating on some barge under a tropical sign, whispering peacocks deep in the ocean, marching into their reefs, marching? Bubble and Squeak is written and produced by me, Peterson Toscano. I mostly make the show for my own pleasure. The Bubble and Squeak theme song is Worthless by the Jelly Rocks from the album Bang and Whimper. You can find it on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to music. To accompany Philip Sorensen's solar trauma, I use portions of the song Astral Roar by Llama House and Who's There by Peter Sandberg. You also heard the trailer from the 1982 movie The Thing. Philip Sorensen read from his book of poetry, Solar Trauma. It's published by Rescue Press. Visit rescuepress.co to discover other poets and books of poetry. And also visit thejournalpetra.com, the online poetry journal Philip Sorensen runs with Olivia Kronk. That's thejournalpetra.com. Feel free to say hi to me on Twitter at P2Sun, the letter P, the number 2, S-O-N, at P2Sun. Oh, and thanks for listening. <laughs>